We're going to turn in our Bibles this morning to Acts in chapter 6. It was the day that the stones began to fly. The first stone hits, the second stone strikes, the third stone finds its target. All the while, while rivers of courage, rivers of hope, rivers of faith flow freely from above. Just weeks before this monumental event took place in the Word of God, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 5, just verse 41 before we get to chapter 6, where it says that they were rejoicing, that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. You know, this was a pivotal, it was an obvious pivotal moment in church history. There was a great shift that had taken place at this point in church history. We're, we're in year A.D. 30, we're after the, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, the ascension the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The shift that took place was the disciples went from being full of fear, having hearts of worry and anxiety to having come really full circle to being with Christ again and having that confidence of Christ being in their heart and the Holy Spirit having been filling their lives, that they came to the place of rejoicing to be counted worthy, to suffer persecution, to suffer challenge, to suffer difficulty for the name of Jesus. We're going to start today in chapter 6, and we're going we're to slowly work our way to this pivotal moment in church history while remembering Stephen the martyr. Prompted by our missions team who did awesome, didn't they do awesome last weekend? Our Africa team being reminded and having hearts prompted. Gary Deb's ready to get on airplane again. Is she getting on Monday already? I mean, she's like, is she going to wake up Monday and be like a little receipt there? I love you, sweetie. No. She'll pack you in her suitcase and bring you with her. Prompted by our dear Dr. Egan. Awesome time with him last weekend. We find ourselves in the book of Acts in chapter 6. Verse 1, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists 
arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples. He called, they called them all. They had an a official disciple meeting. We've got a problem. And they said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this, this powerful passage. Lord, I pray that today you would just speak to our hearts, challenge us today, Lord, by your spirit. Lord, shake us out of our our comfort. Lord, let faith rise in our hearts. Let courage flow freely into our lives. In Jesus, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It was the days when the disciples' number was increasing. Started in the year 30 AD. By this point in the scriptures, we haven't made it too much further. We're probably in the the early or some part of AD 31. It's, It's within the first year of the birth of the New Testament church. The disciples are meeting house to house. There's no church buildings that have yet been built, dedicated for the New Testament Christianity. They're still utilizing the synagogues. They're utilizing the homes. They're meeting in the the open courts. There's no five-fold ministry yet that's been formed Pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, that's all still yet to come in the next 30 years when the book of Ephesians is going to be written and the, the books of First and Second Corinthians and the pastoral epistles. We're in the good old beginning days. You have the apostles that, that walked with Jesus minus one plus one that got added in. You have the disciples that are now being added to 
the number. The word of God is going forth, miracles, Jesus walking with the apostles, beginning to confirm his word with signs and wonders, working through the hands of the apostles. So the church is growing. People are happy. They're not without challenge, but they're happy. The numbers are increasing. And then came growth pains. Then came, and still in that verse number one of chapter six, a complaint. Now, there's never been a complaint in the house of God, right? (laughs) Complaints in the house of God go back quite a long way. Then came a complaint. This was no ordinary complaint, even though it wasn't a very difficult complaint. It wasn't deep in doctrine or or wrong theology. It wasn't it wasn't even very spiritual complaint. It was just a complaint of of people that were feeling neglected. Has anybody ever felt neglected before? We've all felt neglected at certain points. The unique nature of this complaint, as we're going to broaden our vision today, was what this complaint set in motion. A series of events, a series of decisions, that were both going to be the beginning as well as in this particular one, catapulted the church forward into global evangelism. The church at this point is a Jerusalem church. In chapter 6, yes, the day of Pentecost had happened and people had scattered But here at this point in Acts, we're still, there's a focal point on Jerusalem. At the end of that verse number one in chapter six, it says a complaint came by the Hellenist. Doesn't mean like what it sounds. In a rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Right when everything seemed like it was going well, this complaint arose, and I'm not giving any of us permission to begin to complain, even though we're going to see what this complaint catapulted. Something's happening in the house right now. Not spiritually. Microphone. Might be spiritual. It's always spiritual. Microphones are always spiritual. It's always a spiritual battle with the microphones, no matter how well they work at the beginning. This complaint, it was remarkable how the Lord used this complaint and what was accomplished through it. It was a simple matter of 
distribution of food. It was not a good matter, but a simple one of, of neglect. Simple, simply meaning that you can, if you're being neglected, it's easy to not be neglected any longer. If attention is being missed, let's not just get our feelings hurt and allow it to change us and affect us long term. We communicate the neglecting should stop and we can all move forward. The disciples, though they were saved, they were still working through their old man biases. Not that they were old men. Their old nature's biases. As we see with with the Samaritans and Philip being sent with the Samaritans, as we see with Peter in Cornelius' house, which has not happened yet, we can see that it was very likely that these Hellenists, which if you want to understand what a Hellenist is in just a very simple definition, a Hellenist is a form of Judaism that's combined both the Jewish religious traditions with the elements of the Greek culture. So let's put it in just layman's terminology. They looked like worldly Christians to the apostles. They had, they were Jews, but they were raised up in Greek culture. And so therefore they, like the Samaritans, they weren't pure in the minds and the eyes of the apostles. So the point is, is that they were very likely being neglected. It wasn't just a complaint without any basis But it was something that the church was still working through. The church was still growing through. The Lord had to take Peter and had to throw Peter full-blown into visions and miraculous appearing of messengers and throwing him into the homes of the Greeks in order to be able to teach the church to stop, to stop with their bias. At this time of this complaint, a leader is chosen. Verse 3, it says, Therefore, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and appoint to this duty. And it pleased the whole gathering in verse 5 to choose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen. Let's remember Stephen today. We're going to go slow. We're going to dig in. It's going to get a little uncomfortable at times. Stephen was a a pivotal character in the New Testament on multiple levels. Who was Stephen? Think about it with me just for a moment. 
you've got the 12 apostles and you've just got all these disciples and of everybody, Stephen was chosen. Stephen was like the 13th apostle. He was, and he was put into a, a place of deacon, or what deacon actually means is lead servant. That's a simple definition of the New Testament word deacon. Stephen, even before the other six that were chosen and assigned, Stephen was chosen as the leader of all the disciples in Jerusalem. He was a man that was strong in faith and strong in spirit. He was a man that was strong in reputation. I mean, Stephen's name would, would have been as well known in the Jerusalem church as the apostles, which is why his name got chosen first. Take a little side note, and it might even seem like, like overkill for just a bit of food distribution. You got to, in order to hand out that food, you got to be full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, and you got to have a stellar reputation if you're going to take that, that little plate of food and bring it to those, those Hellenist widows. It seems like it might be a bit of overkill, but they didn't think so. Any responsibility in the area of leadership within the house of God, it's, it's never overkill to make sure that someone in the place of leadership has a stellar reputation in the house of God, both within and without. It's never overkill to, to ensure that someone is, is filled with the Holy Spirit and is walking out in the wisdom of the Spirit. And it stands out like a pimple on the, the end of your nose when, when an individual does not possess these character traits. Maybe sometimes not to the individual themselves but to everyone else with eyes to see. Stephen was the man chosen for this first challenge in the New Testament church. And he became the leader of the seven. You can say that they were the magnificent seven. For those who that means anything to They went forth and began to meet this need. But again, we're focusing on Stephen today because think of Stephen. He just was going about his life, living for Jesus, obviously loving upon Jesus. Remember, we're in the first year of the New Testament church. They're all baby Christians in a sense. The whole lot of them. And here's Stephen just going about 
Just doing what he can. He's happy. He's saved. He's building his relationship with Christ, getting filled with the Spirit of God. And one day, his name gets pulled first, and they're like, Stephen, you're chosen. We don't see him in the number of walking with Christ prior to Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. But now... He was pulled out of the crowd. I ask myself and I wonder how much of an idea did Stephen have as to what was right around the proverbial sovereign corner? Did he have a clue on what his name being chosen was going to mean for the entirety of church history. Just like in similar fashion when when Mary knelt before Christ and anointed his feet and all these acts that were done by just normal people just loving upon Jesus. And next thing you know, their life becomes a standard. Their life becomes a beginning. Their life becomes a a starting point for us to look at and to meditate on and to just try to wrap our hearts around their great sacrifice. The value of Stephen's ordinary life that was going to be worth invaluable riches to the church for the centuries to come. They picked him out and put him as a leader over the seven. And they put him and set him to work. And it wasn't long before Stephen's ministry quickly grew. In verse number 8 in Acts chapter 6, as we continue, it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Don't just fly by this verse. Prior to this, Great signs and wonders were being done at the hands of the apostles. Stephen, a deacon, not officially an apostle as we recognize the twelve. Next thing you know, Jesus walking with him, confirming his word in his ministry begins to increase. I mean, how did it happen? I don't know. Maybe as he was bringing that plate of food or that box of food and he, let me pray with you, dear. Let me pray with you, dear. And all of a sudden he prays with the first one and he, he's like, whoa, what happened there? 
Think about it. How did it actually happen? He just signs and wonders. I mean, he'd already seen what happened with Peter and John as they approached the synagogue on that day. And in, I have not silver or gold, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, I give unto you. Stand up and walk. You got to know Stephen's like, okay, okay. And you're going to see in a minute how Stephen was so aware of those things that took place in Scripture. Handing out, distributing food, talking with Nicanor and, and Timon. And, and next thing you know, maybe as the leader, they're kind of going about it. And now he's just beginning to pray with people and minister to people. Amen. So the next thing you know, he's no longer just a food distributor. Matter of fact, we don't even hear anything about his food distributing role. They were being neglected in the daily distribution. Get me seven folks that are full of all these things, good things, put them over. But that was the end of that. The next thing that rises on the surface is, is that signs and wonders are coming from the hands of Stephen. Now we begin to see why the qualifications meant something. Never, never take for granted, never take for granted the qualifications for leadership in, in a house of God. And it's, it's, a continual, it's a continual work in progress, both for the leaders and for the people to always just be, to be reckoning this, to make sure that it's not handled wrongly. But Stephen's hands in life, in ministry, began to increase, so much so that it got the attention of the religious leaders. Actually, before it got their attention, it got the attention, I love the name, they called themselves the, the freedman group. The freedmen group. <laughs> they, weren't, they didn't sound so free to me, but that wasn't what they were referring to. Freed Jews from the Greek culture. But it says that, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose from them of the called the synagogue of the freedmen, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom in the spirit by which he spoke. They were not able to resist it as the Holy Ghost was given Stephen downloads of wisdom from heaven, both scripturally and in and commentary from the scripture. He was, he was debating with them and they just couldn't keep up with him because he was a man full of faith, the Holy Spirit and power. So what they did is what people always do when they can't when they can't pull a man or a woman of God down and they can't discredit them and they can't, they can't shut them up, well, they go behind the corner and they go in secret and they start trying to connive and do things in secret. devil loves to just, he can't come out in the open because he's, he has no power and is defeated. So constantly in the little dark corners, in the secret alleyways 
They said, okay, we can't, we can't take this man on head on. His wisdom and the power and the signs and wonders on his life are too much. So we're going we're gonna to try to connive and we're going we're gonna to go around and we're going to try to pull him down this way. And they went and began to invent lies about Stephen. And they stirred up people in verse number 11 and 12. And they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God lies. And they stirred up the people. They stirred up the elders. They stirred up the scribes. And they came upon him and they seized him. And they brought him into the council. So here Stephen was the first leader. Look, think of all the first for Stephen. He was the first leader outside of the twelve. He was the first who began to work signs and wonders outside of the apostles. Now he's brought in to be examined by the council and to be challenged before the religious leaders. While Stephen was there, he decided he was going to give them a history lesson. It's a great theological history lesson there to study in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Because Stephen just began to recite from memory perfect sequence of their history. And we're going to spare us all that today. We'll be here for a while. But we are going to come to verse 51 in chapter 7. Because in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, this is what we could say the moment Stephen went too far. Comma, or did he? The moment he went too far. I want you to think about this for a minute. Put yourself in Stephen's position. He knows. He knows the severity of the charges that are against him. And he's reciting from, from Abraham to Moses to Jesus. He's just, he's giving them the whole history lesson. This was no short discourse. They were fine with the history lesson. They had no problem with the history lesson that Stephen was giving them. It was like, you know, it was, you know, court turned Bible class. But it was the moment when Stephen turned it from a history lesson to a correction of those who were accusing him. 
The problem was they weren't just a peer, but they had the power and the authority to do as they would to him. But Stephen knew that. Stephen knew the line that he was walking. Stephen could have kept it history lesson. We're just going to walk this little history lesson. We're going to walk this little fine line and call it a day. And they're going to they're going to let me they'll let me go. We're not going to push it too far. We're not going to get in their business. We're just going to stay out of their business. Just keep it very general. Keep it very broad. But then that wouldn't have been the moment that Stephen pushed it too far. Acts 7 verse 51 says, when Stephen finally changed the direction of his message, you stiff-necked. How many times have you wanted to call somebody stiff-necked? Better be the Lord when you do it. Remember where we started? The stones began to fly. You stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. Let me tell you something. You've got to be an individual that's full of the Holy Spirit and faith and courage and power. If you're going to face the powers of hell and the religious demons that we have to face and encounter to be able to speak those things that are truth with the power of Christ and in the love of Jesus that need to be said in this generation. You stiff-necked uncircumcised in heart. You resist the Holy Spirit. How many people in the global church today are resisting the Holy Spirit? Let us be a people that are just bold enough and courageous enough to not only stand up, For the moving of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ. But to resist those and call out those who resist and deny the working of the Holy Spirit in our generation today. When they heard these things in verse number 54, they were cut to the heart. You darn straight, they were cut to the heart. It went from history lesson to sword 101. They began to gnash their teeth. And he looked up in heaven and saw the throne of God. We'll get there. Let's, before, we, before we get there, hold, hold it, hold up. Don't go there yet. I told you I'm walking us there slowly because I want, I want you to see what's happening. I need you to get a visual of what's happening. Because this was terrifying. This was terrifying. I mean, I've been in just the smallest of moments, just the the most minuscule of moments when, when I've seen 
the face of communist officials change, and I've seen their, their eyes change. And I've seen when they begin to look at you with, with different sort of look. I mean, they, they go from this kind of blank deer in the headlights, all right, to all of a sudden in a moment of time. I'm talking full-blown manifestation happening in front of Stephen. Nothing pretty. Nothing controlled. This isn't, you know, dignified judgment's going to come forth and you're going to be, you know, judged and judged accordingly. No. When the word cut to their heart and they they began to, to cover their ears and gnash their teeth. And I can just envision just drool just coming from their mouth and spit flying from their face as they all in one accord. And they, they weren't worshiping or praying in one accord. They were all in one accord. Kill that sucker! They lost it. They absolutely lost it. Imagine if you're Stephen and you know, you know that you're on that fine line. You know that you're on that ledge. You can see their, you can see their faces. They're, they're right on the verge of changing. And you've got to make the decision. In that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. There Stephen is in that moment and he's got to make that decision. Am I going for it here? Am I going for it or am I backing off the throttle here? And Stephen, remember Stephen, people. Let Stephen's memory and example never leave your thoughts. He threw that thing into full gear. He slammed his foot on the gas. He begun to spin his wheels and let it fly and just said, let what will be, will be. Weeks, just weeks earlier, Stephen, you get to hand out food to the widows. You get to be the peacemaker. You get to go and, and just soothe the complaints and just, just sort of make everybody happy. And weeks later, he's spinning his wheels, preaching the gospel at full force, full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith. And listen, listen what happens. It's like the roof, like in this place. It's like the roof just, just parted like the Red Sea. The roof parted. It was mud or concrete, whatever. He was before the council. He was indoors. And the roof parts. And next thing you know, his heart, his eyes, being flooded with courage from on high. Being filled with faith. I'm not so certain Stephen even at that moment saw anything else except for his heart 
and his eyes to be filled with heaven. In verse 55 in chapter 7. Being full of the Holy Spirit. How many times is the word of God telling us that he was full of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> you better get filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to face and encounter victoriously devils like this. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven. And he saw the glory of God. <laughs> and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look. <laughs> look, look. He says, look. I see the heavens opened. In the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this point, it was too much for them. And they charged him with a loud voice, screaming, stopping up their ears. Cast him outside the city. And where we began, the stones began to fly. It was at least the third first for Stephen and for the church. He was about to become the first martyr for the church. Of course, not including our Savior himself who gave his life. But this is the only Martyrdom, which is recorded in the New Testament in detail. Almost as if the Holy Ghost foreseeing that there would be more martyrdoms enough before the church history would end. If our life can teach one lesson, and when that lesson is taught, if our death can teach another, it is well to live and it is well to die. And far more desirable to die than to tarry long and take one's flight in the dreary winter of declining influence. That's a quote from Spurgeon. The Lord used Stephen to throw the first volley towards missions and global evangelism, costing him his very life. In those early months of the church, Luke, the gospel writer, the doctor telling us again and again, notice 
how Stephen invoked what Christ had done. Invoking, calling upon Jesus to receive up his spirit. Notice as we talk about this this serious topic of martyrdom, as we don't talk much about it in the in the American church. Really, it doesn't it, it doesn't get talked about much in the Filipino church either. Or the China church either for that much, but more, definitely more. It's not the most popular of topics. Dying Christians are not troubled with the simple questions of Christianity, such as the deity of Christ or the the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When Christians have resolved it to offer not only their life, but their death to the Lord. As I heard it once profoundly said, it says, yeah, I'm willing to die for the Lord. And if we as a people, if we would profess that I'm willing to die for the Lord, then, then would not we be willing to also fully live for him? Before we could ever resolve our heart to give our life for the Lord in that dying gift, that dying seed that Stephen sowed, let us first offer our life in life unto the Lord. Spurgeon goes on to say, he said, dear friends, Unitarianism and other religions, they may do to live with, but will not do to die with. There are many things in life where where people, men and women of God, people in general, that, that we resolve our hearts to be okay with, to live with certain mindsets, certain theologies or doctrines or philosophical beliefs. They might do to live with today, but what happens when the day comes that it would require to die with is what we are holding to today and believing on today. Is it something that we could die Is the proof enough and the conviction great enough in our hearts that we would both be willing to live and to die? Stephen's visions of glory would appear to split the expanse above him to open up a clear passage for departure and soon arrival to his eternal home. But finally, I want to turn your attention to the fact that Stephen's departing moments, while stones 
were flying, teeth were gnashing, voices were screaming, spit was filling the air. Stephen's heart was completely at peace. His vision was of Christ. His joy was complete. He was one of calm and composure. He did not fear that which was setting upon him. He did not fear that which he was soon to enter into. He never flinched. He never responded with with a defense or, or with some sort of retaliation. He simply told them the truth. When they grew angry, he was not afraid. His lips did not begin to quiver, nor did he retract. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you're not stiff-necked. You you got a pretty loose neck. He didn't retract. He didn't pull it back. He didn't try to he didn't try to gain his own life and in doing so lose it for an eternity. He settled in to what the purpose and the meaning of his life was going to be. As short as his Christian journey may have seemed, the value of it was going to last until the return of Jesus comes for his church. Stephen was given a glimpse into eternity as his death approached. He saw Christ rise from the throne as to welcome his first martyr into the kingdom of God. Obviously, Stephen was a man of the Spirit, experiencing a state of being filled to overflowing in, I believe we can all agree, his most time of need. The blood of the martyrs from the very first to when the last would shed their blood in the days to come. The blood of the martyrs continue to seed and fertilize the soil of the church. The resolve of the people of God. The word of God teaches us of the day that will come. Obviously, we all hope that the day would not be during our day. But it continues to happen today. And there will be a day that will come where 
the people of God will be given more opportunity to lay down their life for the gospel of Christ. If that day never approaches your world or your life, may you live your life as though one day you were going to have to give your life. But may every one of us, it's my prayer, it's, it's, it's my continual cry of my heart, Lord, that I would have the courage, the faith, the readiness to be able to offer my life and whatever would be required of me, whether my life is short or whether it be long. We see Stevens in the natural seems like it was a bit quick. But his blood, seeded, sowed, courage, and faith, and hope. And it demonstrated the resolve of the church. I want to just, just end because sometimes we, we, we mistakenly ask ourselves the question, but pastor, doesn't so many religions require their prophets to either be willing and or offer up their lives. There's, and they do. But there's a vast difference. There's a vast difference into offering your life in an act that is hurting others, that is bringing destruction and devastation such as what's become known in our day and age more than any other, the, the suicide bombers, the, those who would give their life to hurt people in, in expectation that they would be receiving some reward in their death. That kind of sacrifice is not the same as the sacrifice that Stephen made. The sacrifice for Christ, is not one that is wanting to hurt somebody. It's not one that's out of hate. We have to even watch our own biases. We have to watch our own hearts as it pertains to, to the, the systems of the world, the, the governments, the politics, and everything else, as to, as to not be a people who are, who are filled with hate. Because the type of martyrdom that martyr that Stephen was, was one that was filled with love. His heart was filled with his love for Jesus and his desire to accomplish the plan of God for his life. It was a life that gave life, not one that took life. Let's today, let us remember Stephen, in Jesus' name. Go ahead and stand to your feet if you would. Hallelujah. Whoo. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, let the, let the level.
let the level of seriousness, Lord, just the serious, intentional nature of the church, Lord, and your people, let it increase, Lord. Let it increase, Lord, in our, in our hearts and in our lives. Let casual, casual Christianity, Lord, just, just fade away from our lives. But, Lord, that we would be a people, a people on, with hearts ablaze, eyes filled with heaven, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus.